This episode of the Adoption Connection podcast is sponsored by our free three-day interactive compassion challenge for the discouraged adoptive mom. In three days, understand why your child pushes you away, why you are not a bad mom because you're losing your patience, and shed the feelings of shame and guilt. There's hope and you can regain that compassion again. Our next Compassion Challenge starts on Tuesday, February 11th. We would love to have you join us. You can grab your spot at theadoptionconnection.com slash compassion. And if you need more encouragement, listen to these words. Hi, this is Ashley Neighbors. I was calling to just share about how the Compassion Challenge helped me just affirm my feelings of the truth that I'm not alone. I think overall, the biggest thing for me was just reminding myself that those feelings, they will improve. And I think the bottom line for me is just good to be in a community with others who have experienced the same things that I have, who get it. I personally loved just the practical steps um, and suggestions that you guys made in order to kind of regain compassion for your kids. Hi, my name's Alisa Johnston. And I am calling to let you know how the Compassion Challenge impacted me and what the Compassion Challenge gave me were words, words that I didn't have for what I was experiencing in my relationship with my child and myself. I learned about blocked trust and blocked care, and I learned um, that I am not alone in this journey and that I can leave the shame behind, and most of all, there is still hope, and I now have hope, and I received encouragement daily that I am still a good mom, so I'm extremely thankful for Lisa and Melissa and all the wisdom and grace and love that they imparted during that challenge. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hello, Melissa. Welcome to Episode 71 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. Hey, Lisa. I'm so glad to be here. We have a really special guest. She's kind of a master storyteller. She's got an amazing story, and I love her because she is okay with stepping outside of what we typically see, outside of the kind of typical cultural box, if you will. So she is not afraid to try radical things. And so you did this interview, Lisa, and I had a chance to listen in later. And I just, I just was so fascinated by the whole story. So I'm excited for you guys to get to hear from our guest today. Yes. So our guest today is Beth Guckenberger. If you've never heard her speak, oh, try to make a Try to find the opportunity to do it because as Melissa said, she's a great storyteller. She is the mother to 11 kids. She is an author of nine books and a speaker, as I mentioned. She and her husband, Todd, lived in Mexico for 15 years, and together they founded Back-to-Back Ministries. Most of all, she says she's a lover of Jesus, and when we asked her what is the one thing you most want to share with our listeners, she said, raising families like ours is a long play. Yeah, I think that bears worth repeating. Raising families like ours is a long play. And so we can kind of (laughs) sit with this. Well, I'm excited for everyone to hear your conversation with Beth. 
Well, hi, Beth. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I have been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. We cross paths here and there at different conferences, and it's fun to get a little time all to myself, plus all of our listeners, to have a conversation with you. No, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for, thanks for having me. You know, my very first exposure to you was one of your books, Reckless oh. Faith. Yeah. I think that was the very first time I heard your name, and I thought, wow, that's a long last name. <laughs> <laughs> I always say he was a cute boy at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's yeah. Great. Yeah. Having lived in, in other countries, it's certainly, uh, I've heard it pronounced in every single different people like in English, like, did I say that right? And I'm like, trust me, <laughs> you, you, I'm, I'm used to every version of it. So I bet you are. That's so funny. Well, why don't you just start by telling our listeners your story? Tell us who you are. Yeah, for sure. Um, my husband and I moved to Mexico in 1997, and we began uh, back-to-back ministries. It's an international orphan care organization um, internationally. Uh, we had some pastor friends at our local church who had this idea to start a, a U.S.-based ministry, and we asked them, hey, could we, could we take some of your ideas and go to another country? So we moved to Mexico in 1997. Uh, gosh, the idea was to stay there for a year, and... Uh, we didn't have any kids at the time, but by the time we left, um, we had, I had had a biological kid, child that first year in Mexico and uh, we adopted a baby boy who was six weeks difference in age than my uh, biological children. So I didn't even know that phrase artificial twinning, but we did that right off the bat. Then it, the family just grew from there. We lived another 15 years in Mexico um, as the organization grew. It's now in nine places across the world. And uh, our family continued to grow. Today, Todd and I um, are parenting 11 children, some biological, some we adopted. Some were long-term foster placements that aged out in our home and are now still um, incorporated in our family. So seven girls and four boys. And what's the current age range? The youngest is a biological son who's 16, and the oldest are twin girls who we adopted, and they are 33. And those girls... And their husbands have given us three granddaughters. So at any given day, I have, you know, the youngest four are boys in our family. So we have these 16, 17, 19, and 21-year-old boys. And then we have them and as they love on these little granddaughters that run around. So we're definitely a hot and happy mess. It sounds like it. And how many people, how many of your kids live sort of near? A lot of them. The college, I have four college students. They're in states nearby. So enough that they're around on all the holidays. Um, we have three girls that still live in Mexico. We moved back to the United States a couple of years ago as the organization was growing and we needed to lead, lend our leadership gifts here in a more central location. Um, and we have three girls that stayed um, and are living full-time in Mexico. So those guys just come in like during the Christmas holidays. Um, we usually see them when we go there a couple times throughout the year and then once a year when they come here. That is wonderful. You have a nice, nice big family and probably I can imagine based on my family, Lots of different personalities, yes. lots of different uh, preferences and interests and all kinds of things. I love the variety of that. Yeah, I love, I love that they love the variety of that. Like they, their sibling relationships are a really big part of our family culture. And I think that's where a lot of joy for me comes from is watching them, you know, ask each other for advice, rely on each other's strengths. Um, you know, want to be in relationship and contact with each other. So that I love watching the way that they, um, you know, like my 19 year old son is 
like loves to go and babysit his niece for my older, for one of my older daughters. And I just, I love as they're getting, becoming more adults watching some of those, the ways their paths cross. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine. So when you were young and marrying, did you have any glimpse (laughs) of what life was going to be like? No, not at all. I mean, Todd and I came from um, more traditionally sized families and neither of us had any foster or adopted siblings. So we definitely knew even as early as when we were dating that we had a heart for the uh, vulnerable child, but we didn't, I mean, we didn't know. I knew that I wanted, like I knew in the way you think you know things that I wanted to adopt a child regardless if my biology would work or not. And before we even got married, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And then like people sometimes ask us because our full-time job is in orphan care, like somewhat insensitively, sometimes people say like, well, how did you pick the ones you picked? And, and really adoption isn't like that. It's not, it's not like we went and picked something out. Every story was a call. Every story had its own kind of unique circumstances around it that felt like God led us into that child, which is really helpful when at some point in the story, it's not going the way you imagined it in your fantasies to know that I, I didn't bring this on myself. I didn't control or manipulate the story. This is something really only God could have put together. So I, I have been quoted before to them like, hey, if you like your life and this family and your story, you can give credit to God. Don't give me any credit for this. And if you don't like this family and your story, then you can take it up with Jesus because I'm in the same thing with you. Like I, you know, I, I don't, I love the, the peace that comes with believing God is sovereign and that he orchestrated events and um, I can trust him even in chapters when it's not exactly going the way I wanted it to go. Yeah. I think a lot of, I hear from a lot of adoptive moms that they feel like they can't reach out for help because the response they get is, well, you chose this. You Mm -hmm. knew this was going to be hard. I mean, if you didn't want hard, why did you decide to do Mm -hmm. this? And I, think we do have to cling to the sovereignty of God and believe that he really does place the lonely in families. Mm-hmm. Like I know we got referrals for our children, but the truth is that I don't believe I'm powerful enough to place mm-hmm. a child in my own family. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could do that. I think only God could have placed the particular children he gave us in our family. And it's true. We, cl- we have to cling to that, you know, because mm-hmm. we have to trust that he knows what he is doing. <laughs> Yeah. Our most recent adoption um, was five years ago, a 12-year-old boy. And at the time I had an 11-year-old biological child. And he was the youngest at that point of um, nine children. And so he he was a little bit more mature than the average 11-year-old because we had lived in other countries and because of his life circumstance. Meanwhile, we brought in this adopted 12-year-old who was far less mature than his chronological age. And the friction between the two of them, I didn't anticipate and was hard in initially. And I can remember about two years into it, I said to my youngest son, I, I want to just acknowledge to you, I know where, when and where and how this has been hard to you, but I like who you're becoming because as the youngest of a family where everyone spoiled you all the time, you were kind of on track to being self-centered and <laughs> and making it all be about you. And I said, but I now see in you things like empathy and patience and compassion and perseverance and self-control. And even though I know that hard has gotten you there, I like 
who it is you're becoming. And when I was saying those words out of my mouth to him, I thought, oh, that's so true for you, mama. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it, some, sometimes some of the choices that I have made have made it harder for me, but I actually understand why God led me to make those choices because he was busy sanctifying me and mm-hmm. has used our family in that process to do so. Well, and he's used so many of these steps along the way and the children he's placed in your family to lead you into more and more service to a lot. I mean, like many, many children and many families. And it's pretty exciting. Can you tell us the countries where Back to Back is working now? Yeah, we have um, full-time staff in Nigeria and in India, the Dominican Republic, Mexico, Haiti, and then we have work here in the U.S. in uh, one of the cities um, here. So, yeah, we have. It's been exciting to um, watch God always kind of outdo us. Like we have things like strategic plans and organizational, you know, all the structure to make sure that um, we're stable and secure and good stewards and all that. But God is year year by year continues to surprise and amaze us with. Um, opportunities and doors that are opened and gifts, even in the middle of things like obstacles and challenges and setbacks, like he just continues to, to grow us. So we're trying to hold on and be faithful to that. Yeah. It it must be a wild ride sometimes that you're just hanging on and saying, God, what's next, right? I mean, all the time. And there are so many moments when I'm thinking we, we didn't even pray for that. Like, I don't like how, like I didn't, we didn't even know how to ask for that. And yet here we are, Lord. And so um, it, it, it absolutely has lent itself to become dependent. Like I, ha- I have a healthy sense of dependency on God and a, and a knowledge. Um, we didn't do this on our own <laughs> and can't continue to do it on our own. So um, there's a lot of good humbling in all of that for us. Yes, I can imagine that that's true. Well, we were talking earlier and, you know, one of the subjects that you teach on quite a bit is actually marriage. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it would be good for us to, to go into that conversation because I know from personal experience and I know from many women that I mentor and um, that Melissa and I work with online that, you know, marriages can really take a hard hit mm-hmm. when we're parenting in, in challenging situations, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're bringing in children with a lot of different needs and it can take a lot. And so I was thinking that would just be a great thing for us to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I married my high school sweetheart, so we definitely had a pretty um, long history when we began to build our family and we weren't just co-parenting, but we were also co-laboring, co-working as we were building this organization together we have complementary gifts, so there's not a lot of competition if we remember to kind of stay in our lane and trust each other to do what they're supposed to do. So it all sounds like it should have worked out just great, but um, as the family began to grow, um, uh, when we'd been married about 10 years, we were at that point parenting nine children. We had um, nine under the roof at a time, and the ministry was growing. And I can remember when I would see Todd walking towards me, I was thinking to myself, what can you do for me right now? (laughs) Like I wasn't thinking like, what a wonderful person. I can't wait to see you. And then when he was walking towards me, um, he would be thinking, I need Beth to, you know, to do A, B, or C. And we were realizing that when we finally did have an interaction, it was pretty transactional and it was um, sometimes fear-based and some, and 
like it was all about, you know, how can I use you to accomplish the goals I might have? Even if my goals are seemingly altruistic or about a greater good, I still was like not thinking about what I could give him. I was thinking about what I could give him. And my friends and I, uh, we were studying uh, the biblical books of poetry, like Song of Solomon, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics. And I ran into this verse in, sec- in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, 15, 16, in that section. And it says, there's a verse that says, catch the little foxes, little foxes that want to come into your vineyard and ruin it while your vineyard is in bloom. And there's a, you know, um, some obvious metaphor and poetry in there, but also looking at that Hebrew language they are talking about, that aroused state that a married couple gets the privilege to be in. And my vineyard wanted to be in bloom, but there were lots of foxes that were trying to ruin that vineyard and not giving us a chance to see each other in a way that was uniquely husband and wife. And so I kind of always thought that like the Christian woman thing to do is to hide my foxes from Todd and put my best foot forward. But one night I just admitted to him like, Hey, there's some foxes in my vineyard and some of them seem kind of innocent, like fatigue and busyness. And some of them are a little bit more complicated, but I'm thinking that we're going to get in trouble if our vineyard doesn't bloom as much as it, as we wanted to. And I said, what would you do if I told you I had some foxes in my vineyard? And he's like, I'd get out my bazooka and I'd blow them up because I want, I want your vineyard to be blooming as much as it can. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's have this conversation. And we decided we did this, like we we had a a genuine heart to heart and made a decision that we thought at the time would be short term, kind of like a, like triage decision. But um, that was 16 years ago and we've been doing it every day since. And we decided that we wanted to spend two hours a day, not co-parenting, not co-managing our home, not co-working in our joint uh, ministry. We wanted to spend two hours a day just wearing the principal role or the principal hat of spouse. Like we wanted to be friends in all the ways that, that, that you could be. And Oh my gosh, it was like crazy town. When we first, we're kind of night owls. So we thought, okay, we'll try to do it from nine to 11 every night. And I can remember the first time, the first night we like shut the door at nine o'clock. My, um, like the big girls were knocking on the door, like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to mom. And he was like, well, why do you need to talk to her? Well, I, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend and she's like, well, my Todd was like, well, I'm sure you'll still be sad in the morning. So you can just, you know, deal with that then. Like our little kids were knocking the door, like mom needs to help me finish my math homework. And I remember Todd saying at one point, you can go to second grade next year. Like, it's all good. You know, like, like we need time when we aren't doing anything but being with each other. And it took a while to teach our household that there was going to be a rhythm where for a few hours every day, mom and dad were offline to them. I mean, there, there's bleeding exceptions, but for the most part, we wanted to be. <laughs> blood, and, blood and fire. <laughs> yeah. In the beginning, what happened, one of the things that happened is we were physically walking into the room at nine o'clock, but we are nine 30, whatever it was, but we weren't necessarily emotionally and mentally doing that. And, uh, we, you know, I might be walking into that room, not, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to check my email or fold my laundry or work on a project for the next day, but I, but I still had my head in some of those spaces. And we were reading a book in that time frame by Shanti Feldman. And she wrote, that men's brains are like screensavers. Like when Todd walked into that room, he changed his screensaver and I was the screensaver and he, he wasn't thinking any longer about anything else. But women's brains are like little pop-up windows, right? We had like all these, little, I had all these windows, like, did I call them back? Did I change that? Did I do that? Did I tell her that? Did I write, is that ready for tomorrow? Like I had 
all these little pop-ups. And so we, that first year we began to develop this rhythm, this, this like conversation with each other where sometime usually after dinner, he would say to me, what do you need to do to close your windows? And then we began to commission with each other to close out the day and be satisfied with that, which we had accomplished at that point was all that was going to happen. That we were having these impossible expectations on ourselves and then eventually projecting them on each other was costing us, of course, things like rest and peace, but ultimately was costing us connection with each other. And then it eventually that loss of connection with each other was impacting the connection we have with our kids. It was around this time when I'm like, okay, I've got to be a lot more intentional with my time than I thought. I thought it was just a sprint from when you wake up to when you go to bed. And whatever I was passing, I was paying attention to. Okay, got to be a lot more intentional that. So then I was like, I need to spend one-on-one time with every child every day, which at that point I had nine kids. I'm like, how do you do that? So I started this practice um, that, again, we've now done this over like almost a little over 15 years, but where I was like, okay, I, I need to have at least 15 minutes alone every day with every kid for a pulse check. Sometimes that 15 minute pulse check would help me understand there's something going on that needs this to swell to much more than 15 minutes. But what I started to notice in my household is the whole place changed because kids weren't competing with each other for my attention because they knew at some point they were going to have my undivided attention or Todd's undivided attention. My kids weren't competing with my husband. My husband wasn't competing with my kids for my attention because they all knew there's going to be a moment when like, so suddenly some of that started to get to order. And then Todd and I realized nine to 11 at night became our deepest breath of the day. Like we, we couldn't wait to be alone with each other and stop the things that we thought we had to do until we fell into bed exhausted. And so, I mean, I could go on and on, but like, that, that those two hours of the day means we just celebrated 25 years of marriage that at year 25, I actually like him tons better than I liked him at year 20. And at year 20, I liked him tons better than I liked him at year 15. We've actually like grown up and grown towards each other with all that intentional time. And now, like if, if there's like some special event, like everyone's home for a holiday or something and we're out and about in the house after those hours, the kids start to freak out. Like you guys go away. This is like your time. Like what I thought would cost them security because they wouldn't have access to me for a few hours has actually done the opposite. It's increased security in them because they know if they see any kind of tension in us during the day, cause we're human and we have it it's going to be okay because mom and dad are going to get it, work it out later. They have this total sense of security about our relationship. And now they're all young adults finding their own little people that they want to spend their lives with. And I realized, wow, we just modeled for them how to make your home um, be a place that's healthy for everyone. It's, it's, it's been a fascinating experiment. I had no idea how it would turn out, but I'm really grateful. Well, and you've now done it for so long. I mean, that's pretty radically impressive. You probably don't feel impressive, but I mean, it is a radical choice because we are all, we live in a very busy, busy world. And I know that you are juggling so many things from running a large organization to parenting, to being a grandma, to being an author. I mean, and I'm sure there are so many other things. Those are just like the few that I'm most aware of. And I 
to stop the day like that is pretty impressive, you know? And I, I actually think, um, has made me probably accomplish more. Like that's the big secret. I didn't realize. I thought if I gave away more hours, I would have more outcome or out like output equal outcome. And I've realized that that's not necessarily true. I'm in this story, healthier, longer, stronger, better, smarter, more rested because I've taken time every day to stop. Like that's actually made the muscles better than Mm. continuing to work through. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it does. It does. What do you think have been the biggest challenges to sustaining this? What have been the ones that have just been like, oh, maybe we can't do this anymore or things like that? It was like a flywheel. Like once the momentum started, now nothing can stop it because it really genuinely is our favorite time of the day. It is our, if we missed out on it, some well, now it's so important to us that if we have an evening commitment that we need to be a part of and it goes past the time we just push our days. We just push those two hours farther into the night and recognize that we're going to get less sleep. Even if I'm flying in on an airplane and I get home at 11 o'clock at night, we'll still do it probably from 11 to one because we don't, we don't want to miss that time. That is actually, it's my favorite time of the day. And so um, it's just, it, the, all the struggles came in the beginning, like, Oh, am I going to mess up my children by not being 24 hours a day accessible to them? And Oh, um, what happens if, am I going to, somebody going to be disappointed in me because I didn't return their phone call or turn their email or finish something I, I said I would. And I began to realize that yes, some of those things did happen. People were disappointed in me or I didn't get things done by Friday. Like I said, I thought I would be able to do, but in the cost benefit ratio, the benefit has far outweighed the costs. And I just needed to kind of get that ball rolling. And then the sustaining of it has been the easy part. It was the initiating of it. That was the challenge. Yeah. I can imagine it would be a bit of a shock to the children, you know, at first to just have to accept that, you know, you weren't available. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. And it's funny too, because like you, we have older kids and our kids, we go to bed before they do. You know, like sometimes they'll be in our room talking to us. I'm like, you're just tucking us in for the night, you know? It's so <laughs> yeah. <funny. laughs> yeah. And we've, again, we ended up making the decision to make our room a pretty sacred space in the house. Again, when you have a family as large as ours does, which I know not all your listeners have large families, but when you have a family as large as ours, I actually needed a little sanctuary space. I needed a place where um, I could go and have clear thinking where I could go to like get reset if I was having big feelings about something or my son was catching up with me or, <laughs> or whatever, you know, whatever I needed a sanctuary. So our kids come in our room, but they, they don't come in uninvited. They don't come in. It's not, they wouldn't consider that a space that they're free to be in whenever they want. And we stock that space. Like we have a little kitchen in there now because I didn't want to go out in the evening if we wanted a snack in that window of time and enter in and see all them because I didn't think I could unsee whatever yeah. it was I would see. <laughs> the mess in the of, kitchen, right? Yeah, whatever. So I, um, we, we have kind of built that space um, so that it feels like for that, just for two hours a day, it's like on an island. Yeah. <laughs> Again, what? I know it's crazy, but it's been helpful to us. Oh, it's good. I'm so fascinated. So what are some of the other practical things you've done First of all, in that physical space, I, you know, to make it feel like a place that you just want to be. 
Yeah, there's a couple like rituals that we have that signify this time is beginning. So like usually we light a candle or maybe there's a music playing. I saw on Pinterest years ago, someone had turned an armoire into what they called like a coffee bar or a morning kitchen. And so we bought an old armoire at an auction and we turned it into like a mini kitchen. So if you looked in our room, it would look like we had a cabinet in it. But if you open it up, it has a refrigerator and a microwave and a sink and um, all the things that I don't want my kids to get their hands on. Uh, <laughs> so there's a couple things like that, that we have done that makes it feel like it's an adult space. And I, because I think as moms, we can lose ourselves and our identity as a parent, which means if I had a really great day, I'm feeling really great about myself as a mom, you know, and if I had a bad day as a mom, then I'm going to bed feeling like a failure or like, I can't do this anymore. Or like I'm at the end of my rope. I needed a couple hours again, like if, if somebody was sick or whatever, like there, there are exceptions, but for the most part, I needed a rhythm where for a few hours I remembered I am one of the most important things I am as a mom, but I am not only a mom. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I was probably someone who would have been at risk of making either my marriage or my family an idol in my life, you know, like something that I was giving unnecessary worth to like focus and attention to. I, and so taking a couple hours out of that helped me remember, okay, you're a daughter of the King Most High. He created you. He, he didn't create you just to use you. He created you because he loved you. Remember who you are. So like now today, I don't, uh, we, with all those kids, you have some days where you're hitting it out of the park and you're like, oh my gosh, they're all going to be, you know, fantastic contributing <laughs> members of society. And then you have some <laughs> days where you're like, gosh, they're all going to jail. But like, I no longer, because of some of the perspective I've allowed myself to take, I, I feel like I, I've, I don't even quite know how to say it, but you don't ever forget about your kids. It's not like in those two hours, I don't think about them. And Todd and I will talk about them sometimes in those two hours. Like that's a natural part of our day or what we're, you know, what we're thinking and praying about. So it's not like we're not allowed to talk about them. Sometimes we do talk mm -hmm. about them. We just try not to get tactical in that time frame about anything. It's more about how I feel about them or how he feels about them or, or hoping or dreaming or wanting or praying for them versus, and this is his math grade. And this is, you know, yeah, she, she just got another speeding ticket or like, it's not yeah. tactical. It's, it's more about the kinds of conversations we became parents to have. <laughs> right. So, so you're not bringing your calendars into this space. Not bringing, no. <laughs> okay. And see, that's, that's always a challenge for me. Like I'm so tasky you know, and I've got like, my brain is just tick, 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 tick. And, and so you have to do all of that kind of communication separate from this. We do. So if you're juggling schedules and travel plans and stuff, you don't do that in those evening hours. We don't, we both have notepads next to our beds. So like if something pops into your brain, you have a place to write it down so you can remember about it in the morning. So I might write down, you know, tasky kind of activities that I think, mm -hmm. oh, we, like that's, I'm so glad I remember that. And I'll be so mad if I forget that later, I need to write that down, but mm -hmm. it's not like in that moment. And because we work together, we have certain kind of like, I don't know if I would call them rules, but more like guidelines. Like we might talk about our work day, but we more talk about our relationships at work or mm -hmm. uh, things that were challenging for us. But again, not, not like, I don't want you to solve this problem. I don't, you know, I just, I actually just want someone to hear me and, mm -hmm. And as we were, um, we started this before we even understood 
things like TBRI and, mm-hmm. and trauma competent care. But as we were learning about those things, we were realizing that inadvertently we were deploying some of those skills within that time. And that's one of the reasons why it felt like such a safe space. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about even like little, little life scripts or little kind of tricks and tools we have in our tool belts with our kids from hard places about redos and about listening. And uh, like those are really very powerful marriage um, tools. They are. Yep. I don't know if, I don't know if you could accomplish that on a once a week date night. I think that has to mm. be kind of a regular rhythm and, mm-hmm. and it also makes room for intimacy. I mean, I think mm-hmm. um, all that emotional connection allows for a more healthy physical connection. And mm-hmm. I was just telling this um, woman at work the other day, I'm like, people can work with Todd, play a board game with Todd, get in a fight with Todd. They can, you know, dream about the future. Like there's tons of things people can do with Todd, but there's only one thing there's one thing that only he and I can do together. So why in the world would I not make space to have that kind of connection? And if my mind is racing with all the details of my life, and if if I just hit pause, you know, 10 minutes before, I'm probably not going to be fully present for him. And Mm -hmm. all that is just, I think it's the kind of conversation we need to have in families that we've, um, you know, that are complicated. Like some of your listeners' families might be a little complicated. Yeah, just just a wee bit, just a wee bit complicated. <laughs> so, do you also plan any special? Like, do you guys get away at all? We do, we do do getaways, but um, it's it doesn't feel uh, so like we just went away for our twenty fifth wedding anniversary, and it but it it doesn't feel quite as necessary mm-hmm. because we have all this kind of regular investment time. So. We do do it. I travel so much for work. He travels so much for work that sometimes getting on an airplane doesn't necessarily feel like a treat to me to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, we, we do, we do spend, um, we do go away. But you're not, when you do have those special opportunities to go away, you're not going into that frazzled, desperate, depleted. Mm-hmm. You're already filled up so that you can actually enjoy the time and you don't have to process the big things because you're already doing it all on a regular basis. It's not building up. It's like, yeah, we're doing it in real time. And I can remember like probably around the five year mark of all this. And we were realizing how much we liked each other again Mm -hmm. and how much um, we felt like we were growing up together in many ways. Um, I thought I realized some of the parallels between my relationship with Todd to becoming one and my relationship with God and how, Mm -hmm that regular daily investment of time with the Lord where I'm not wearing any other hat, but daughter of the King um, that allows things to not build up. That allows me to be working out with things with God in real time. That makes me not so dependent on a retreat or some kind of experience to jolt me back into remembering how great it is to be a believer. Like it's, it's a, it's a part of my, the regular rhythm of my life. And so I was like, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. That's how my relationship with you works. And that's how my relationship with Todd works. And then as I translated it into my children, it's not that I don't sometimes go away with my like with one, one daughter or one son for certain things. And they certainly do travel with me sometimes. But I didn't, I didn't need like a special trip with my daughter when she was 13 because when she was 11 and 12, going up to 13, we were having all these regular um, time that I was prioritizing to be mm-hmm. with her. So it was just like, I don't know about you, but I don't, I really resist the question when people say like, I don't know how you balance it all. 
Cause I'm usually like, I, I don't balance at all. Like if my body looks good, don't look at my house. If I'm killing it at work, somebody else is taking care of my kids. If I'm killing it on Instagram with my kids, I blow off work. Like, right. you know, like I, I, you aren't doing it all. And so once I realized that was impossible, then it was like, okay, if it's not about balance. It's going to be about rhythm. And what, mm-hmm. instead of reacting to rhythm, I want to be proactive and set the rhythm. And I've watched God honor that. I also started praying for him. I was like, Lord, I ask you all the time for things like patience and wisdom and self-control and mercy. I'm going to ask you for capacity. Would you give me a greater capacity to do the things that you're asking of me? And I've watched him honor that. Like, because I'm trying to give him my day and the, and the pattern of my day, I've said, okay, I might need to accomplish that article or that whatever, that meal even preparation in a shorter amount of time because I'm trying to honor you with my time. Could you help me? get, get smarter, better, more strategic, faster at things so that I can still manage what I think that you've asked of me. And I watched him honor that. So, you know, years and years ago, like I can think it was my oldest daughter's 11th birthday and she's 32. So it was a long time ago. I got to hear Elizabeth Elliott speak and my daughter and I went together to hear her speak and not all my listeners will know who that is, but she was a very godly woman who taught a lot of a lot of younger women, but anyhow, she was an amazing woman. And I remember someone in the audience asked her, how do you know God's will for your life? I've never forgotten this. And she said, well, you know, God comes first. If you're married, your husband comes next, then your children. And then you ask God, what is it that only I can do? Mm-hmm. What is it that only I can do? Show me what that is, you yes. know? And that was very clarifying for me at that time in my life. And it continues to be, you know, there are a lot of things that I do that probably are not the best use of my time and energy that someone else could do them better. Someone else could do them faster and it would give me capacity for the things that God does really want me to do. So it's an interesting thing to just sort of, and, and as my life changes, as my children grow and my life continues to shift and change, those things are different, you know, at different stages of life. Yeah. I remember Todd was said to me at one point, why are you doing the boys laundry? Like they know how to operate very complicated technology, just their video game system alone. The washing machine has like one button start like this. If you have so many minutes dedicated to each child, don't do something that they can do for themselves. Spend those minutes instead, exchange them for something that, that only you can do as their mom. They can do their own laundry. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, you're right. They can do their own laundry. And (laughs) I'm going to spend less time doing for them and more time doing with them. Yeah. Again, I've just seen God honor some of those choices and um, I'm I'm grateful. I've just, I ultimately feel really grateful. Like some people ask me like questions like, you know, did you, do you feel like you got in over your head or do you, would you go back and do anything differently? And um, I mean, of course, in hindsight, gives us clarity on things that we don't we don't have when we're making decisions. But I'm I'm really grateful that I felt like I had permission to put my relationship with God, to put my relationship with my husband, and my relationship with my kids, kind of all in proper order and perspective. And the other days I don't do it well, lots of them, but mm-hmm. that that pattern has helped us um, has helped us in all areas. <laughs> 
That's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I just, it's inspiring. It's something that I think I'm going to be just turning over in my mind a lot and asking God, what can you teach me from this? What should I take from this? You know, because we can learn from each other. Yes, you know, there's sure. so much to learn. And to just get to sit with you and talk about this has really been a blessing and a joy. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me for sure. Yeah, thank you. And we will have, do you want to just quickly tell us the titles? That, well, you have a lot of books. Tell us the titles of some of the books that my audience of foster and adoptive parents would be maybe most interested in. And then we will also have them all in the show notes. Yeah. The, the most recent two adult books I wrote, um, I wrote one uh, two years ago with Thomas Nelson called Start With Amen. And in that, I talk a lot about my marriage and about kind of the nitty gritty of my family life. So that feels a little bit like you're reading my diary and um, kind of has some behind the scenes um, stories. So that's called Start With Amen. And then um, just on Black Friday, just last week, we, I released a devotional book called Reckless Faith. 40 days of saying yes. And it is full of, um, again, stories from my life and family and opportunities for people to, to say yes and to watch God open doors. And there's some, there's some good vulnerability in there about my marriage too. So. Well, that's wonderful. Cause I think people are going to want to know more. They're going to want to hear more stories about you. So thank you so much for being here. I'm just really thankful. I said that again, but. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I love Beth so much. I was inspired by what she shared, but I also know that depending on the season that you're in with your family, what she shared can feel like really overwhelming and not practical. And there's probably a lot of resistance. I felt it a little bit myself and, and Patrick and I are outside the box thinkers. So this sounds like something we would probably tackle probably with less grace and ease than it sounded like Beth did. But I just wanted to encourage you that I think the takeaway is that we have the power to be intentional, even in the midst of the crazy. And it's that power and strength and intentionality that really helps our kids feel more stable when they feel like, we know what we're doing and we're in charge. And sometimes we have to show that by shaking it up a little bit and trying something different. Right. I think, you know, everybody listening is going to be in a different stage of life. Your family's needs may be different. You may or may not be married, you know, but the, the idea here is to me, what I took away from it is we all have the same amount of time every day. And she has made, Beth has made radical choices in how she's using her time to prioritize what's most important to her, which is her relationship with her husband and with her kids. And I have great respect for that. And I definitely, since the interview, I've been rolling this over in my mind and thinking, what can I take and apply to my marriage? Now, Russ and I are not night owls by any stretch. Like we go to bed at 9.15. So uh, two hours late at night would not work for us. But the idea is still there. And how can we build some of that into our marriage and into our time with our kids? So I hope everybody listening is just pondering a little bit and thinking about what you can take from this interview and apply to your own life. Yeah, I think it opens up the 
door for what is possible. And if we don't even stretch our what is possible, then we can't think about creative solutions to get there. And I think whatever you decide is your end goal, I think, you know, another lesson here is, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. It's a lot about prioritizing certain things. And that means we have to be willing to be in a very vulnerable and scary place to let some other things go, which, you know, she didn't talk a lot about what she had to let go to make that time, but I'm sure it was harder than she made it out to be. Beth provided us with a download that we think you're really going to enjoy about things that she's learned while doing orphan care. And we also mentioned her books. As I said, she has nine books. We will have links to a number of her books in the show notes and uh, links to her organization, her ministry back to back and other information if you want to know more about her. And again, if you have the opportunity to hear her speak, I hope you will do it. To find those show notes, they're at theadoptionconnection.com slash 71. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.